0: God hasn't missed a single one of your words, and He will call you to give an account for it at the day of judgment. One of the most damning pieces of evidence that will be presented at the final judgment will be your own words.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom will continue his current series with part six of Not Even One. Have you ever heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Well, you could say the same thing about your speech. What comes out of your mouth reveals the inner condition of your heart. And according to the Apostle Paul, the condition of your heart apart from God's transforming you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, is helplessly depraved. And today, Tom will examine the way in which your very own words are a mirror to your soul and what to do with what you find reflected back at you. Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed.
0: If your speech is often filled with angry, hateful words, if you just sort of pour out vitriol all over the people around you, if you're always exploding and out comes this filth, it shows that you have a hate-filled heart. If your speech is always bragging and self-promotion, or on the other hand... If it's filled with constant criticizing of others, if you're always critiquing other people and somehow they never measure up to your standard, you're always looking down from your high and lofty perch at the the shortcomings of others, it shows that your heart has no humility, that it is a proud heart. If you're always laughing and joking, even about serious things that matter to God, it shows that there's no genuine fear of God in your heart. If you're always talking about materialism, things, if you're, if you're obsessed in your conversation with houses and bigger houses and better cars and, and clothes and jewelry and all the stuff that you can buy and accumulate, then it shows that you have a heart that loves money and what money will buy. If you're always making off-color comments, cracking dirty jokes or instead in a more sophisticated way you're filling your speech with with sexual innuendo and with double entendre then you have an immoral heart if all you ever talk about is is the frivolous if your conversation dwells on movies and entertainment and music and video games and sports and somehow your conversations never seem to go deeper than that then it betrays that you have a shallow superficial heart If you're always talking about yourself, if even when you're listening, you're just listening in order to decide the next witty thing you can say to increase your reputation, and the conversation is really about you, then it shows that you have a selfish, self centered heart. You see, our words, taken as a whole, taken over time, paint a perfectly accurate portrait of our souls. There's a second problem with our toxic speech, and that is our words are filled with deceit. Notice verse 13, with their tongues, they keep deceiving. Paul again quotes from Psalm 5, verse 9. The Hebrew of Psalm 5, if you go back to the Old Testament, puts it in a very uh, picturesque way. Literally, it reads, they make smooth their tongues. What a graphic picture of verbal deception. But the Greek word here for deceiving means to take advantage of someone through craft, through trickery, through deception. This word, by the way, is very similar to the Greek word for bait, as in the bait that's used in fishing, causing Barnhouse to write this, men can use words as worms are put on fish hooks. Those who take the word at its face value are caught on the hook. By the way, this is not an occasional problem. Rather, it is a continual pattern. Notice how Paul puts it. The verb tense, they keep on deceiving. This is their constant pattern and practice. Now, this word deceit or deception here includes a number of sins. Obviously, it includes lying, right? It includes lying is nothing other than the contradiction of the truth. When the truth is A and you say B, But the word deception includes more than that. It also includes using some truth in order to mislead or deceive someone. In other words, this word includes half-truths, deliberately misleading someone with the whole truth, flattery, distorting the truth in some way for our own advantage. This is verbal deception. And frankly, it's the way the world works. People pretend to be happy to see someone that they were trying desperately to avoid. They praise someone in their presence that they always criticize in their absence. Their words are like honey when their hearts are filled with anger and bitterness. There's no more perfect description of human society than this indictment. They keep on deceiving. Lloyd-Jones writes, Look at them in the ballroom are on their state occasions and at their dinners. How friendly and affable they all seem with one another, and yet they are muttering things to one another the moment someone turns his back. That is life. That is society in its evening dress as well as in its rags in the gutter. In other words, no matter where you look on the human spectrum, you will find deception is part and parcel of the fallen human condition. Why? Why do people lie? Why is deception so pervasive? Well, you understand, I hope, that lying is never an end. Deception is never an end in and of itself. Dishonesty is merely a tool for sinners to get what they want. Here are some of the reasons that we lie. If I had time, I would take you to some biblical texts that support each of these, that, that illustrate it. But here are some of the reasons people lie and deceive, to avoid what we fear. This is why Abraham lied, right? To enhance our reputation. That's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. That's also a perfect illustration of Facebook and all social media. To enhance our reputation. To hide personal hatred. To gain financial advantage. To hide our own guilt. To manipulate others into doing what we want. And sometimes we lie or we deceive to hurt and to injure others. You see, nothing is more complete a revelation of the extent of human depravity than our propensity to keep on deceiving the people around us. Again, Barnhouse writes, the conscience must admit the fact of the lying nature of man. He says, you know that you are a liar by nature. Never did parents have a child that they did not have to correct in this matter. The child lies naturally from birth, and only by use of the rod of correction can a habit of honesty and words be instilled into the heart of the child. Deception and lying is completely pervasive in our world. It happens at all levels. Nations lie and deceive other nations by breaking treaties. That's one of the concerns our representatives have about the treaty that we're about to engage in because nations lie. Government leaders lie to their citizens or to other government's leaders. Large multinational companies lie to their consumers, like we read recently of Volkswagen. Experts and researchers falsify their research, either for their own advantage or the advantage of their companies. And individuals constantly lie to the people in their lives. This is such a pandemic problem that people even like to reclassify their own dishonesty as little white lies. They speak of their version of lying as being harmless, or sometimes even they'll say it's good. But the fact that this sin is so universally pervasive doesn't mean God's perspective is any different. God hates All deceit and lying. Psalm 5, verse 6. You destroy, this is to God, you destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors. Hard to imagine a stronger word. The Lord abhors the man of deceit. Psalm 6. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. And number two on the list, a lying tongue. In fact, God hates lying so much, that there'll be no liars in heaven. Turn over to Revelation, Revelation 21. As John writes of the new heaven and the new earth, he includes some lists of those who won't be there. By the way, it was these texts in 1978 that God used to bring me to faith because as I read them, I realized they described me, that I wouldn't be in heaven. Revelation 21, verse 8, speaking of those who won't be in the new heaven, heaven and the new earth but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters this is a pretty bad list and all liars their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death go over to verse 27 in the same chapter speaking of the new jerusalem says nothing unclean And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, you cannot consistently be a liar and be a believer at the same time. Look at chapter 22, verse 15. Again, talking about that heavenly city Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. God hates all deception and lying. He will not allow those who are liars in his presence. A third problem with our speech is that our words kill and destroy. Back in Romans chapter 3, Our words kill and destroy. Verse 13 says, The poison of asps is under their lips. This line comes from Psalm 140, verse 3. The word translated asps here is not a reference to a particular kind of snake. Rather, it's used generally of all poisonous, venomous snakes. Israel has seven species of poisonous snakes, three of which are a danger to human beings. And he's describing How this works. It's actually a fascinating sort of zoological study because poisonous snakes have a sack of poison in their mouths. You understand this. And as a snake strikes its victim, its fangs extend, and as those fangs enter the victim, they press against the sack of poison. And at the same time, the muscles of the snake's mouth compress and cause the poison to be pressed out of that sack. And the poison, depending on the kind of snake, it's a rattlesnake, for example, and other kinds of poisonous snakes, the poison runs through their hollow fangs down into the victim. But in most cases, they don't have hollow fangs. Poisonous snakes have fangs that have, have a small groove running down the outside of the fang, and the poison runs down that groove and into the puncture wound and delivers the poison that will eventually kill the victim. Paul says, in the very same way, when fallen human beings speak, our words strike and deliver poison into the people to whom we speak. Our words kill and destroy. Scriptures use a number of different metaphors of this destruction. The destructive power of speech. For example, in Psalm 57, verse 4, it describes men whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. Psalm 64, 3, they have sharpened their tongue like a sword, they aimed bitter speech as their arrow. James, in James 3, talks about the tongue as a fire, an out-of-control raging fire that destroys everything in its path. In fact, he says the tongue is set on fire of hell itself. Now, what kind of words destroy another life? Obviously, words that are intended to do so, right? Words that are intentionally spoken to inflict pain on another person. Lies, slander, bullying. Angry, vindictive words, social media that 's intended to to reflect hate and to to hurt another person, if you really want a picture of of the fallenness of the human heart, go on and read the internet comments when people think they 're commenting anonymously. It just spews out poison, destructive poison but it 's not just words intended to inflict pain that are words that destroy. Also, words that are intended to bait us into destructive sins. For example, the sinful invitation of a fellow student or coworker to get drunk with them or to have sex with them or to use drugs together. Movies and music that, that present this beautiful picture of sin and urge us to participate. It's poison. Advertisements that appeal to the, to the lust of the eyes and say, you have to have this. This will satisfy your soul. It's poison. Martin Luther also points out that words that destroy includes false teaching. False teaching that only talks about God being a God of love. God loves you. He wants you to have your best life now. The prosperity gospel that tells you God wants you to be healthy and wealthy Or the Mormons who tell you that your good works will will allow you to accomplish your own salvation and eventually you can be like God. Listen, there are no smoother tongues on the planet than the tongues of false teachers. But if you buy what they're selling, if you believe their words, those words will come with a soul-damning poison administered to your heart. There are lots of words that are like poison that kill and destroy There's another problem with our toxic speech. Fourthly, our words are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This final Old Testament quotation about our speech is from Psalm 10, verse 7. He uses two words here. First of all, cursing. Obviously, that refers to pronouncing a curse on someone. In English, American English... As you know, people fill their conversations with curses. One of them is to ask God to damn someone. Or the other one that's very popular is the sort of, not sort of, the vulgar wish that someone would sexually violate the person you're angry at. Both of those in American English are common expressions intended to call down a curse on someone. And by the way, cursing in our culture is getting worse You doubt that, look at the movies. Back in 2013, there was a movie released called The Wolf of Wall Street that I read set an all-time record for swearing in a movie. It included the same expletive 506 times. That was almost three times a minute. But you don't have to go to the movies to hear cursing. Just go sit in a public place somewhere, and you won't be there five minutes until you've heard someone curse. The other word, he says, is bitterness. This refers to words that are an expression of a bitter heart. In other words, angry words, words filled with animosity, hatred, harsh, vindictive. Notice again, Paul says curses and bitter words are not the exception. Instead, he says in verse 14, the mouths of sinners are full of these things. Where does that cursing and bitterness come from? Well, Titus 3 says... Titus 3.3, it comes from the fact that unregenerate people are hateful and hating one another. Now, why do words figure so profoundly in this indictment of human depravity? Because as we've noted, they paint a perfect portrait of the condition of the human heart. They are a mirror to our souls. If you want to know how bad your heart is, just examine your words... Just listen to yourself. Now, this is sobering. In fact, let me speak for a moment. If you're here this morning and you know you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you know you've never repented of your sins, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to hear what Jesus has to say to you. He says he will use your very words to condemn you at the judgment. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 and notice verse 34. He's talking here to unbelievers, specifically the Pharisees. And Jesus says to them in Matthew twelve thirty-four, You brood of vipers, you see the reference to our text, You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Now watch verse 36. This is... This is very sobering. But I tell you, now remember, Jesus is the one who will, who will be the judge at the last judgment. He says, I tell you that every careless word, singular, that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. God hasn't missed a single one of your words. And he will call you to give an account for it at the day of judgment. Moreover, notice the end of verse 37. By your words, you will be condemned. One of the most damning pieces of evidence that will be presented at the final judgment will be your own words, because they reveal your heart. Listen, your only hope, my only hope, this is where Paul's been driving in Romans 3, is the gospel The good news that God forgives our sins against Him because of the death of Jesus Christ in the place of all who will believe in Him, of all who will repent of their rebellion and accept Jesus as Lord. That's your only hope. And I plead with you, don't wait for another day. You don't think you're making a decision today, but you're making a decision. You're either deciding to accept Christ as Lord, to to come to Him as Lord and believe in Him, or you're deciding to leave here without doing so, which is the same as a decision to reject him. Today is the day of salvation. For those of us who are believers, and that's most of us who are followers in Christ, Romans 3, the passage we've studied together, reminds us that we are different people than this. We have been changed. We must not allow our speech to be like that of unbelievers like it used to be before Christ. Turn over to Ephesians 4 very quickly. Ephesians 4. Notice what Paul says here. Verse 25. Because you're a new person in Christ, lay aside falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. Verse 29. Don't let any rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to their need at the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. And by the way, we quote, do not grieve the Spirit. Guess the context. It's the words that come out of our mouths. Do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, that's the wrath, the anger of blowing up, the anger of clamming up, and clamor, that means yelling in the middle of an argument, and slander, that's name-calling, you so-and-so be put away from you, along with all malice, all intention to hurt someone else, all hatred. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven you. By the way, sexual speech is off-limits as well. Look down at chapter 5, verse 4. There must be no filthiness. That's obscene talk or silly talk. That has to do in the context here with dirty jokes He's talking about crass dirty jokes sexual jokes and then coarse jesting that's not a great translation it refers to to sophisticated sexual innuendo this is the person who would never tell a dirty joke but he's always got something that's just a little witty and off-color all says let these be put away from you instead Notice what our speech should be. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of your Father as beloved children. Talk like your Father. Don't talk like you used to be or like unbelievers talk.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with Part 6 of Not Even One. We'll have Part 7 for you on our next program, and do join us then. Well, Tom, it's essential that we as believers apply what we learn today to social media and the Internet, as well as one-on-one conversation. Isn't that true?
0: That's right. It's clear that Paul is talking about the speech of unbelievers in every context, and every venue. And I think as believers, we have to keep that in mind. We've been changed. This is not who we are. But we need to understand that there is a temptation to take the anonymity of social media and what happens on the internet and to be tempted to write and to say things that we might not say to someone in person. As believers, we are to guard our speech. No rotten word, Paul tells the Ephesians, is to come out of our mouths. Our speech, whether it's in person, with the people that live in our home, whether it's with the Christians around us, the unbelievers around us, or whether it's the Internet. And that post that we make must always reflect the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
1: Thanks, Tom. And Frank. we'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org.